Welcome to this episode of Conspecialist Corner. I'm Seth Bird. Today we're going to talk about wrapping up our variety trials for the year, what we're seeing from varieties, what we think will be successful varieties or characteristics of varieties this year from across the belt. First, let's start with the introductions like we always do, and we'll start in Arkansas. Bill Robertson, I'm the Extension Cotton Agronomist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Ag Cooperative Extension Service. Thanks, Bill. Glad you could join us again. Move over to Texas and Ben. Ben McKnight, State Extension Cotton Agronomist with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service based in College Station. Thanks, Ben. And then we'll end up in Arizona. Morning, Seth. This is Randy Norton, Extension Agronomist with the University of Arizona based in Southeast Arizona, covering the southern part of cotton producing regions in our state. Thanks, Randy. And glad the three of you guys could join us. So first, we'll just start out with just a general overview of your variety trials. How are they going? progress this far in terms of harvest or maybe getting close to harvest? You know, we've started harvesting some of our plots in Arizona. You know, we kind of have really three distinct growing regions. We have the western part of the state down in Yuma, which is dominated by the vegetable industry. So cotton is kind of a rotation crop for them. And that's the place where we've harvested some of our trials so far. We've got four large plot trials that we've harvested. And, you know, we've kind of had a mixed bag. We've had some that have done really well. One that we harvested last week, average yield based on a generic 36% turnout was about 1,800 pounds of lint. We haven't ginned samples yet, so we don't have any of that data, fiber quality or turnout, but just based on a generic turnout, we're looking at about 1,800 pounds. You know, 15 to 18 is really what we've seen in terms of average. For that area, that's a pretty good yield. We really haven't started harvesting anything else in the state. Central Arizona is just starting to get into defoliation. So we're still several weeks off in the majority of the cotton acreage in the state of Arizona. But I'm optimistic from what we've seen so far down in the Yuma Valley. It's kind of a good predictor of what we're going to see in the rest of the state. You know, where we're at, the variety of trials that our program here in College Station oversees is in the upper Gulf Coast in an area west of Houston, going down towards Corpus Christi along the Gulf Coast in the Blackland Prairie region. And overall, just the weather conditions this year have had the entire crop, I think for the most part statewide, about two to three weeks behind. So under normal circumstances, we would have been wrapping up with our harvesting of these trials. We're getting there. I think we're about 75 to 80% completed with our harvesting of the variety trials that we oversee across the state. Again, we were just you know two to three weeks behind, haven't really had an opportunity to look at any of the yield data at this point in time, but just some of the observations that I've seen because of the weather conditions that we've had this year in Texas with a very wet spring and early summer, seems that varieties that were a little bit towards that late maturity classification capitalized on some of the late season weather events. I don't think that summer really started for us until about the middle part of July. It was cooler than normal conditions, overcast for a lot of our early season, May and June. But any of the maturities that, again, were a little bit later in the maturity classification system seem to have been able to capitalize on the late warm weather. And I think those are going to be some of the varieties that will perform better for us this year. 
this bill, I'll kick in behind Ben. And Ben, I'm glad to hear you say what you said, because in Arkansas, we started late. Our weather was crazy this year. We had winter and spring, and then we had winter again, and then spring. And we had very little cotton planted in April. Most of our cotton was planted in the last half of May. So we started off with a late crop. It wasn't really that much later than 2020, but we had a late crop that just kept getting later as our weather events played out through the year. And it was really scary to look at some of our later maturing cotton here and the late planted cottons. And some of our late planted cotton was a later maturing cotton. So you go out and look at it and it'd make you stick to your stomach because there just wasn't hardly any bowls out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, this late weather came in and it's like the bowls came from nowhere, you know, and we'd got the heck of a crop. The USDA has us pegged at about 1,174 pounds, but I think we'll get better than that. But the bottom line is we should have a lot of pickers running in the field right now. We're just really getting started again. Yeah, so thanks for those updates. One thing that I'm curious about, and you're all through are kind of in different stages of the process, but, you know, looking at these variety trials, whether it's your own farm, your large trials, or even, you know, small plot, OBTs, or however many you do, have there been certain things that have stuck out? And I know it's hard to predict yields when you don't have the ginning done, but from maybe a trait package standpoint or an agronomic characteristic, have you seen anything stick out? And Ben, you kind of mentioned a little bit that would maybe make a variety or group of varieties more successful this year that, you know, as you get on into the ginning process, things you can maybe predict or try to estimate you might see? Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed this year in some of our variety trials is we had varieties that the bowls on those plants just seemed to open quicker than some of the other varieties. In fact, you know, we are harvesting these plots and you look at the field after the machine has ran through, you see some of the varietal differences between the plants that have more green bowls than others. And I haven't really had an opportunity to get down and look at the way that that company describes or classifies the maturity and compare that to others. But when summer finally started about the middle part of July, getting into August, late August, you could really notice a difference between some of the varieties and how quickly bowls were opening. And I think the plants that had a quicker bowl opening process and that warm weather that we got, I think that might be a little bit more advantageous for folks this year compared to some of those varieties I were noticing that were just a little bit slower, a little bit harder to open bowls. Ben, would you speculate that that has something to do with maybe the bowl distribution? Maybe those varieties are fruiting lower or they load more up early in the season. Is that what you're thinking? I think so, Seth. And now that you mentioned that, a lot of those varieties I think were opening quicker had a better bottom and middle bowl load. And some of the ones that I noticed that weren't opening as quicker had a proportionally higher top load than some of the others. I mean, we'll definitely see that kind of phenomenon that you're discussing here, you know, related to distribution of bowls on the plant. And most of our issues are related to heat stress. You know, that's one of the things that we look at pretty closely when we're evaluating these varieties in our variety trials is what's their tolerance to heat stress. 2020 for us, you know, was a very hot year. We had a lot of what we call level two heat stress days. I think we were up at about 36 in 2020. 2021 was almost the antithesis of that. We did have some pretty significant heat stress early in the season where we saw in mid-June, it kind of started about the 13th of June. And we had about four weeks of some pretty significant level two heat stress. And you can see it in the plant. You can see these gaps in that fruiting up the plant. 
where these plants, some varieties were more tolerant to it than others. And I just did some plots this morning, walking them, doing some evaluations. And you can see those gaps. And in certain varieties, it was much more pronounced than in other varieties. And that definitely affects, you know, percent open bowl, you know, how quickly those bowls open. And those ones that didn't, didn't have that gap or less of a gap, they were much more open than those that did have the gap. You know, this year in 2021, we had unprecedented rainfall. In fact, you guys might be impressed with this for Arizona. Since the 23rd of July at Maricopa Ag Center, where I have a lot of my research plots, we've had eight inches of rain, which is unprecedented for us. We just never have that kind of monsoon activity. And so once that started there in late July, our heat stress really just went away. We didn't really have any heat stress at all since that point. We had a little bit in early August, but it was minimal. But you can see that crop really set a top crop. There's a lot of bowls right up the top of the plant. And right now, as of today, they're still really green. They're not going to open real soon. And it's more pronounced in those plants where we saw issues with heat stress early and bowl loss. So that distribution that you're talking about there, Seth and Ben, I think that's key is the distribution of that bowl load on the plant and how quickly those bowls open. Randy in Arkansas, you know, Dr. Borland does our OVTs and he has a lot more control on fertility rates and irrigation and other things. I've got a dozen or so, uh, right at a dozen on farm, large plot variety trials. And, you know, a lot of times we're at the mercy because it might be in a field of say 1646. That's a pretty late mature variety that needs to be very aggressive with plant growth regulators. And so we have some varieties in there that don't need that much methylclot chloride, but they get it anyway. And so yeah. some of the varieties that are much more responsive to picks, you know, we see those impacts. But all in all, you know, just the last few years, once we've gotten into bowel eradication and we've got the BT cotton, you know, our old goal was to have 80% retention at first flower. Well, that's usually not a challenge for us. In fact, it's scary that a lot of times we'll go into first flower and first position fruit all the way up and down the plant, we'll be running 90, 95% retention. And sometimes there's not much buffering capacity on the plant, so it makes it difficult to get everything the plant needs when it needs it. But the bottom line is, and this year is even better yet, I think, that sometimes we have a little bit of a fruiting gap, or sometimes we see, you know, some times where we have some high nighttime temperatures or some issues and we have some misshapen bowls. And it's really interesting how just a little zone in the middle of the plant, in the heart of your crop, some misshapen bowls will knock your yield down 150 pounds, 200 pounds. But this year, the fields I've been in, very few misshapen bowls, big, nice, fluffy bowls all the way up and down the plant, several positions out on the fruiting branch. So pretty optimistic about the crop. But one of the biggest things, Seth, that I see in the fields I'm at is you know, we've got producers that are cutting back on their nitrogen some. We've got some that are cutting back on their plant population. And seeing the benefit that that has on the plants being able to mature and what that does to the bowl load. But the biggest difference is the methylquat chloride. Because you can take a later maturing plant and really be aggressive really early and make it a lot earlier. And so you do have some flexibility in there. But if you miss it, then it's a different ball game. And sometimes those are the challenges that we see when we look at Dr. Boylan's yield data on those later maturing varieties. Really, bowl distribution or bowl load seems to be the theme, just from the three different locations, different things that drive that. And I'm curious, you know, Randy, with your heat tolerance work, I don't want to get myself into too big of a pickle here with the way I word this question, but maybe do you see tolerance trends within a company like 
maybe a certain company has more heat tolerant varieties than another, or do you see it more a range within each of those packages of varieties from each company? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will say that we've been doing these specific evaluations for heat tolerance. Now, this is our third year and doing some pretty detailed work, looking at flower formation. And Bill, as you mentioned, you know, misshapen bowls, looking at pollen dehiscence, all of those factors. And I feel pretty comfortable saying that there's a range within companies. You've got stuff that's developed in different parts of the U.S. will have different levels of heat tolerance. You know, all of the major seed companies, I can think of varieties that I've looked at from all of them that just don't do well when we have several consecutive days of level two heat stress. But then they also have some germplasm that looks really good. You know, a lot of these companies actually are doing evaluations out here in Arizona for that purpose. I won't mention the company, but we had about 800 lines of different cotton looking at heat tolerance among those 800 breeder lines. And it was amazing. These were one row plots, 15 foot, very small plots, basically just doing evaluations on pollen and flower set. And you could look at one row where you had no pollen release whatsoever after several consecutive days of level two heat stress. And then right next to it, you'd have a variety that's, you know, set pollen beautifully. So there's a lot of variability out there. And I think the seed companies are recognizing that. They're doing quite a bit of work selecting for these varieties that can tolerate some of the heat because it's not just in Arizona, as you guys well know. I mean, heat tolerance you can experience anywhere in the cotton belt. We kind of have ground central out here for evaluating here at the Maricopa Ag Center when you get 36 level two heat stress days. It's a really good place to evaluate those properties in the varieties. Thanks, Randy. I was curious about, you know, maybe there's a company that just needs to focus on heat tolerant cotton. We've got salt tolerant lines. You know, glad to hear that's a focus now of the different companies. You know, bacterial blight is something that is really an issue here in Arkansas. Ben, I don't know if it is down there too, but we've got consultants and producers getting bacterial blight in on the bowls and some issues. And that's really going to be a driving factor on which varieties have bacterial blight tolerance next year on variety selection. But we're seeing differences there. And it seemed like it might have fallen off the radar screen a little bit for some, because there's only so many things you can do at one time you have to prioritize things, but I think that's becoming a priority for everybody. Are you seeing that too, Ben? We do have a couple of locations that bacterial blight is an issue, and I try to echo what you're saying, and that needs to be one of the priorities in regards to varietal decision-making in those areas. Anytime I have an opportunity at a grower meeting in some of those areas to talk about varieties, that's one of the things that I try to highlight. That's a good point. And Bill, I'm going to curious on your PGR comments. Is it going to put a bigger emphasis on that PGR, the importance of PGRs compared to other years, or is every year going to be kind of as critical as any other in terms of its influence on the varieties? Well, you know, sometimes I look at cotton at the end of the year and say, I shot myself in the foot by putting on too much PGR. And then when I run the picker through, I think, man, it did good. <laughs> I didn't hurt myself as much as I thought. I think sometimes on some of our earlier, more determinate varieties, we do force them into premature cutout. And I see that some in some of variety tests, not very often, but I really see that a lot in growers that are used to growing a more vigorous plant that does require more mepoquot chloride. And then they go to a much earlier, more responsive variety. And the next thing you know, they're cut out a couple of weeks or a good week earlier than what they really would have liked to. And so they do lose some yield potential there. I think every year is a little different, 
but for the most part, I would hate to grow cotton in Arkansas without that. And you just got to know your variety and know how aggressive you need to be on the front end, because that does make a big difference. Thanks, Bill. No, that helps. One last kind of wrap-up question. Talked a lot about maturity, especially Bill, with your trials and the different maturities in there. So there's all these different maybe parameters we can use to gauge maturity or to rate maturities across varieties. From your perspective, looking at these variety trials, looking at how maturity influences variety performance or the differences across these trials, what's your favorite you know, method or two for really gauging maturity? What do you use to maybe grade maturity across all these different varieties and companies? It depends on the time of the season. I mean, I like to evaluate maturity or progression through that fruiting cycle at a couple of different times. And for me, one of the things that I like to do is looking at nodes above white flower. You know, the number of nodes above that first position, fresh bloom to the top of the plant, looking at that near or coming into peak bloom. And as those plants start going down the backside of that bloom curve towards cutout, I think it's a good evaluation of how quickly they're progressing through that fruiting cycle. And then, you know, kind of towards the end of the season is doing the same thing, but using nodes above crack bowl, you know, looking at that in terms of estimating how quickly that crop's going from a nice green lush crop to opening bowls. You know, that gives you a good indication, I think, of evaluating maturity of some of these varieties in these trials. I know in Arkansas, I used to always really like to look at, and I focused in on the node above white flower, because a lot of times we run full season cotton man on one variety and use it's our most widely planted variety in the state. And we'll just do that one variety full season cotton man. But then when we get into flowering, we run node above white flower on all the varieties. And I used to look at that a lot, but it seemed like to me, a lot of times it didn't play out with what I saw later on. And I've got to where now I really think my favorite measure of looking at trying to gauge the maturity, especially relative to one another, is just right before defoliation time or after the initial leaf drop application, because a lot of times we do a two-shot defoliation program in Arkansas. But a lot of times when some more determinate varieties are running about 50 to 60% open, and some of the fuller maturing varieties are only running about 10% open. And so there's a sweet spot in there where you can kind of really separate the men from the boys. If you go too early, then you miss it. You go too late, you miss it. So I'll try to hit that sweet spot in there. And I feel like that tells me a lot about the different varieties, especially just relative to one another. Well, this has been a great opportunity for me to learn from Bill and Randy on some of the things that y'all look at when gauging maturity. This year, I don't think because of the crazy weather that we've had and the way that all of the varieties have responded differently in all of the different regions, I don't think it was a great year for me to be able to wrap my head around you know, evaluating maturity. It's just been a crazy year for us. And I think things have kind of been all across the board, depending on which location our variety trials have been in Texas this year. Yeah, Ben, this is my out too. Just blame the weather. <laughs> it's totally fine. I've basically done that my entire career, I guess. I know you're trying to wrap up, but I wanted to make one other comment. A lot of times at harvest time, the day we harvest, I'll go out there and a lot of times, you know, I'll try to stand up in the back of the pickup where I can be up high and go across and look and try to figure out which varieties I think will yield the best. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I thought I could do it one time and now then <laughs> I just can't do. There's some varieties that are really showy that look like they're going to do very well. And the cotton's just not there. And there's some varieties that just don't look like it's there and will beat nearly everything else. So sometimes I wonder, okay, am I wasting my time 
rating this stuff. I even had one last year where we did video because it was so misleading. Some of the writers just looked out of this world and they were in the middle of the pack at best. <laughs> so anyways, I feel like I got to do something, but sometimes the measure that counts is what goes in the basket or the module, you know? Yep. When I look at variety trials, if I pick out the best looking cotton, that's going to be one of the lowest yielders. <laughs> and the ugliest cotton is going to yield the highest. Now that may just be my taste in cotton is weird, but I do think that just visual appeal doesn't always equal yield or pounds. I see that every year. Every yeah. year. It'll fool you to death. It'll make a liar out of you quicker than anything. Never try to make a prediction because nine times out of 10, it'll make a liar out of you. Yeah. Looks are just looks. They don't mean anything when it comes across the scale. That's for sure. Gentlemen, I appreciate your time. I know it's a busy time of year for all of us, and I'm glad y'all could take a little bit of time out of your day and have this talk. Like I always do, learned a lot, so I appreciate y'all's time. I want to thank Cotton Incorporated for their support. You can find the podcast on any podcast app or most of the podcast apps, I think. We've got most of them on there now. You can follow us on Twitter at Cotton Corner Pod for updates on episode releases. I'd like to thank Keith Edmiston for the music, and thank you for listening.